good to see you. Those of you who are joining us for the first time, either online or here, welcome. My name's Steve. Uh, I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. I'm so grateful for that opportunity. And uh, if you were with us last week, we got to uh, we get to uh, watch as four young people from here committed their life to Christ. Uh, I, we made that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Somebody had pointed out today when we posted that, it says they committed their life to Chris, uh, and they wondered what was going on. And I said, you know, I text so much with Chris Lindsay, our worship pastor, that my autocorrect will change sometimes uh, those things. So I have to be really careful. But uh, I am, uh, I'm really excited about this series. I'll tell you, for the, probably the last year and a half or so, uh, it's been a series that I have uh, thought a lot about and wondered exactly how to talk about this topic uh, because I think it's it's prominent. Uh, it's something that we wrestle with, and I will tell you that it's not new, uh, but I think we hear about it a lot more. This idea of deconstruction, or maybe you've heard somebody talk about deconstructing their faith, uh, and maybe that's you, and uh, or maybe somebody that you know or love, care about, and you kind of wonder what that's all about, what all entails in that? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it uh, wrong or right? What does that look like? And so we want to walk through that together, and we're going to do that over the next six weeks. Uh, hopefully, it's really insightful, helpful. Uh, if that's something that you have gone through or going through, uh, give you some things to uh, think about as you look at your faith and look at um, how to make sense of some stuff maybe from the past that you learned as a truth that maybe you found out along the way that's not so true. And uh, how do you reconcile those things? But I want to tell you this, that as we start off in this uh, series, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about deconstruction, but I'm going to change terminology on you uh, real quick. And, and I think there's some importance in that. And the importance really comes from the, the, the thought or the idea that the term deconstruction is really kind of a loaded word that, that has various meaning. And uh, for the past 20 or so years, I've had the privilege of uh, sitting down and counseling uh, with individuals and couples and families over the course of time. And one of the things I've noticed that causes some of the biggest grief is undefined terms. Right, you've been there before in a relationship where you know you you told somebody, all right, listen, by the time I get home, I'd like for the house to be clean or whatever. Well, you know, you had some kind of expectation. You knew what you meant by what you said, right? They knew what they meant by what they did, but your terms on what clean was or you know clean your room or hey, can we have this prepared or whatever? And then you look at it, you're like, well, that's not prepared. And they say, well, yeah, that's that's prepared to me. Well, that's not clean. Well, yeah, that's that's clean to me, right? And so. So sometimes undefined terms can cause us some of the biggest uh, heartaches and stress in our life, and it's true with the term deconstruction. And in fact, when we talk about deconstruction or deconstructing our faith, that that term can actually mean a whole lot of things. And the term deconstruction actually is not a new term. 
when it relates to ideas or thoughts or belief systems. The, the term actually kind of came about in the 1960s. There was a guy named uh, Jacques Derrida. And Jacques Derrida was a philosopher, a French philosopher. Uh, and he coined this phrase as he kind of wrote some stuff on how do we think through processes? How do we best kind of dive in and look at something and make sense of it? So as he looked at that, he said, you know, I think something that would be helpful for us is if we took something we thought we knew really well and kind of looked at it at a different angle to see if there's value on another side of it. And so he took that idea and he said, you know, there's, there's a work that might, ha that might be, there's a term that might be, there's an idea that might be, but if you twist it around, it could also have alternate meanings. And it could have alternate value. And therefore, this is uh, deconstruction. It's really to show value in seeing various sides of one piece of work or one thought process. And in doing so, as if you know anything about philosophy at all, or philosophers as they write, uh, he was very hesitant to put a lot of definition behind really what deconstruction was. But as time went on, as often happens with most philosophers, people will begin to think about uh, think critically about, sometimes follow a new train of thought. Derrida really expressed a lot of grief behind uh, the fate of this new word that he was presenting or this new idea that he was presenting in deconstruction because he began to see how others took the word and changed the meaning. Been there before, right? We've even been there in the church before, right? We took a word and changed the meaning, and Derrida saw that and was deeply grieved. In fact, uh, there were many times when he was quoted as a saying, I wish I had never kind of put that out into space. Or I, I wish if I had done that, I would have kind of helped people understand the process behind really what deconstruction is all about is helping people find a value in something, an alternate value in something. What ultimately happened to deconstruction then is that over the course of time, it really has served to unmask or disempower claims so that they no longer hold any sway. Well, that's a big difference, really. That, that ultimately what is done in deconstruction, if, if we talk about it in today's terminology, is it's a full, dismant, it's a full dismantling. That deconstruction is an endpoint in the process. It is not just a means to an end, but it is the end. It's a poor way of defining, I think, what deconstruction can and does mean. And so that is why I think it's really important for us to talk about a healthy way uh, to look at our faith and look at how we remodel, I'm going to say remodel our faith or reconstruct our faith. Um, I, I thought about this game uh, over, the, over the course of time, um, over the last few, few months, this game Jenga. How many of you have ever played Jenga before? 
Last Saturday, we had a big Jenga out at the Easter egg hunt, and some of these kids were like building up so super tall, and it was like sway. I mean, it was swaying like I couldn't believe it was still standing, right? But uh, as you look at this thing, if you've ever played before, there's a method to it, isn't there? right? You don't just go grab one and yank it out, right? You carefully kind of figure out exactly, you know, maybe where a loose one might be. And you pull it out, and then you put it on the top. And you continue to do this process over and over again. This is important. So you identify the pieces that are good. They're solid. You don't want to move those. Otherwise, the game ends, right? Then you look for the pieces that are weak or broken or deficient, and you identify those, and then you move them carefully. What's hard to do when everybody's watching you? (laughs) And last, you address the pieces that are weak without, and this is huge, without dismantling the pieces that have value and are needed. See, it makes no sense to pull out a piece and disrupt all of the good parts in the process, correct? We want to keep the parts that are good. We want to identify the parts that are good, but we also want to identify the parts that are not working, that are not good, and correct those. This if I was going to say uh, what, what deconstruction is about, is this process. It's a careful process. It's a thoughtful process. It's a process by, by which you have to really engage with it. Because otherwise, what happens is it's a complete demolition. And this is a problem. I think I, I've talked to several people over the last couple of years who've deconstructed their faith. And in doing so, what they're really describing is they've come to terms with some things in their life that they realize they did not agree with, and therefore they got rid of everything. The problem with this is that if demolition is the end game, then in the end you'll have nothing left. If demolition is the end game, in the end, you will have nothing left. If my goal is just to clear this board, in the end, I won't have a game left, right? And we want something. I, I uh, remember buying our house a year and a half ago now. Some of you were there, and uh, I remember talking to some of you after you uh, you graciously came and helped us work on our house. You graciously came and, and helped us move in. And some of you afterwards were like, I can't believe you all moved in there. You know, I mean, that was, what were you thinking, you know? And I still think about that a year and a half later. What was I thinking? I don't really know. We bought a house. It had been vacant for six years. Um, it's, it has... If you accumulated all of the problems that I've talked with people through through counseling over the last 20 years, it has more problems than all of them cumulatively, right? It's just, it just, it's the gift that keeps giving, right? But there are some good things about the house. There are some, some things that are sturdy and steady about the house. And so what we've had to do over the course of time, and this is important, is that we've had to identify the things that we wanted to keep 
and the things that needed changed. Because if we didn't do that and we, st- we, we walked in and we just started swinging sledgehammers uh, all around and taking saws and, and cutting stuff out and just removing everything that was there, in the end we have no home to reside. And my goal, my hope for you is to help you find a place where you have a home to reside that you can reconstruct in a healthy way. See, I would be lying to you if I told you that, 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 listen, it's okay to just completely wipe everything clean, start over, and maybe you can start fresh, and it'll be better this time. But that would be a lie. Because without a home, you're homeless. And that's not a good place to be. And so I think it's important for us in a healthy deconstruction to be focused on growth. See, as we look at this game, which again is a simple reminder of what we're really doing is that I know the end result is to build this thing as tall as I can, but as stable as I can. And the, the, the more wobbly it gets, the harder it is. And so I have to methodically go through it because the end game here is growth. I'm growing up, but I'm also making sure everything is stable. See, In our faith, as we begin to question things and doubt things, and we're skeptical at times, and I will tell you, in in my faith walk, all of those things have existed. I've doubted, I've questioned, I've wondered, I've been skeptical, I've thought things about, you know, listen, is this God thing real? Is the church thing good? I've had all of those thoughts. And those are good and normal But if we wipe everything clean, we have nothing from which to start. And so I encourage us in this quest over the next six weeks to think about as we reconstruct faith, wherever you are in that process, to think about it in terms of growth. Where do you want to grow? And I think there's a couple of stages of life that we have to look at in growing our faith. And the first one is, and we're going to talk more about this in a few weeks, but the first one is a foundation. Our foundation, our building process, this is where you uh, first learn. This is where you uh, kind of first gain understanding. You're putting building blocks on top of each other. And for me, maybe this is true for you as well, uh, my faith process started in the church. My parents were not raised in the church. Uh, They didn't really have any kind of understanding about the church or God or the Bible. Uh, But shortly before I was born, they started going to church. And then they began to grow their faith. And that's where my faith grew. And my faith grew through a lot of times it was Sunday morning Bible class or Wednesday night Bible class. And we would pull out these blue felt uh, story, you know, story uh, felt Bible things, right? And they were all the same pieces, right? And the teachers were digging through and slapping stories on there. And I learned about the Bible through these, these stories. Some of you, you learned about them as an adult, Some of them, you have read stories recently, you thought, I never knew that was in the Bible. (laughs) That's the news to me. There's this part of the building or the foundation process that's important. There's another stage of life that's also equally as important, and that is the reconstruction phase. 
There's a building, a foundation phase, then there's a reconstruction phase. And this is where you look to see what is functioning well and what isn't. And you begin addressing the mess that's there. I want you to think about this. How many of you uh, own a home that's at least uh, 25 or 30 years old? How many of you own a home that fits in that description? How many of you, because you own a home that's 25 or 30 years old, you have done some kind of remodeling, reconfiguring thing in your home, right? Normal, natural, that's a part of it because when somebody built it in the first place, they weren't intending for it to be dumb and not functional, all right? That was not the, the end goal. Some of you wonder if that was the end goal. It wasn't. They thought it was going to work at the time, and it did. It served its purpose. And this is important. It served a purpose at the time. But it doesn't serve that purpose anymore. And now it has to be reconstructed into something that serves a better purpose. And for a lot of us, in fact, I would say this for all of us, as we grow up in our faith, we have to go back to a time and say, is this really healthy? Is this a good way to look at this? Or does this need to be reconstructed in a healthier way? It served a purpose at one point in time, but it no longer serves the same purpose. But here's the thing. Reconstruction must be done methodically. It must be done with intention. And we can't forget that reconstruction for reconstruction's sake is not healthy. Just changing things to change things. It might make us distracted, but it doesn't help us in our end goal. The last stage. So we have foundation and building. We have reconstruction. And the last phase is this, a healthier and wiser life. A healthier and wiser life. This is the end goal. If the searching and doubting and skepticism and reconstruction leads you to a bitter, on edge, miserable, untrusting life, you need to ask yourself if you've been dismantling the wrong thing. Because I've met a lot of people who have said, listen, that whole church stuff isn't for me. And I get it. I've been a part of some churches before where I, I questioned a whole lot of things, right? Including if any of us in there was actually following Jesus to begin with. You've been there before, haven't you? However, if in the end of all of that getting rid of thing, you are a more bitter person, you are a less trusting person, you are more on the edge than I would, I would urge you to think about if you've dismantled some of the wrong pieces of your life. See, reconstruction is a normal and necessary part of your growth. Reconstruction is a normal and necessary part of your spiritual growth. We all have to grow and we have to change things from time to time. And listen, change can sometimes be super necessary and also quite painful. Been there before? Whew. But it's normal and it's necessary. I know what you're thinking. All right, we've preached half a sermon and you haven't even gotten into any kind of scripture. Where is this coming from? 
Well, this is all setting the stage for some things that I think are important, but you have to understand what's happening behind the scenes. So if you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 8. Open up to Mark chapter 8, but let me set the stage for you before we start jumping into this scripture, okay? In Mark chapter 8, what we do is we read this story, and we've talked about a little bit recently where Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he asks them a question. He says, all right, who do people say that I am? And their response is, well, some people think that you're a good teacher, you're a prophet, you're, you're a rabbi, and he says, okay, that's all well and say that I am. And Peter speaks up, because if you know anything about Peter, he has a knack for, you know, sticking foot and mouth all the way to kneecap. <laughs> I have that same knack and gift as well. Some of you share that. And he says, oh, I believe you're the Christ. Now, this is a title. Now, some of you thought it was Jesus' last name. It's not. It's a title that we give to Jesus, that he is the Christ, he's the Messiah. He was the one who is to come and redeem the world. They saw that as redeem Israel. And in fact, it was very specific that the prophet spoke of long ago, there'd be one who would come and redeem Israel and restore their place. And here's the problem is that at the time when this was happening, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel were under captivity. That they were subservient to another group of people. And so Peter says, listen, I recognize you not as a prophet. I recognize you not just as a rabbi. I recognize you as the one who all the prophets were talking about when they said there's going to be one who comes and redeems Israel. That finally somebody has come and they're going to help us restake our claim as the nation of God. Perfect. And Jesus says, all right. You're exactly right. That's a good foundation. In fact, on that foundation, Peter, I'm going to build my church. But here's the thing. Peter thought that Jesus was going to restore it there and then. Peter thought, and the rest of the disciples thought, that, that Jesus meant, all right, listen, here earthly, here now, here in Jesus' lifetime, Israel was going to be rebuilt to this great nation, and they weren't going to be subservient to Rome anymore. But that wasn't true. Now let's pick up right after this confession of who Jesus was. And this is important. Because even though Jesus says, hey, listen, that's a great foundational point, you need to understand something. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Then he began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. There's times before, right, where if, if you remember some stories from the Bible where Jesus teaches things and they're like, yeah, we have no idea. You were doing some kind of like Jedi mind trick. We have no idea what you're talking about. Could you explain it to us? But here, what we find from Mark is he was telling them plainly, listen, I need you to know I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to be killed at the hands of, of the elders and, the, chief and the, the teachers of the law and the chief priests. And then in three days, rise again. 
And here's what happened. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter, who just confessed, all right, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the one who is to come and redeem our nation, takes him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned to look at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. For you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What was Peter concerned about? Throw it out at me. Come on. This is in the museum. What's Peter concerned about? Current events. He's concerned about, listen, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't be talking about that because, listen, if you die and I think you're the Christ... Well, then there's nobody here to redeem Israel. I mean, this thing isn't going to be put together like, like you said it was, like I thought it was going to be. And you, listen, you said, on this truth, you're going to build the church. I mean, on, this is the foundational point. See, Peter's right, but he's not exactly right, is he? And he's got some truth, but the truth of it is, is he's still got a lot more to grow. Verse 34, then he called the crowd uh, along with his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with all the holy angels. Stop right there. And I want you, I mean, if you've been in church, you've read that before, and it's, it's like sometimes it's hard for those words to, to, to kind of break in, but stop for a minute and just imagine if, if this is a conversation between you and I, and I say, listen, if you want to, you know, like be a part of Wellhouse, then, then you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow this church. And then be like, whoa. I mean, I love showing up on Sundays, and I'm good serving our community, but you're talking about a big commitment. He says, right, right, right. See, you were thinking like, let's rally behind this king who's, who's going to make this earthly reign and you get to be a part of it. I'm telling you, it's going to cost you everything. Oh, this is deeper. And it's not deeper in the sense of, okay, Jesus, everything you've, we've ever known, saying, wait, there's a piece of this puzzle that doesn't seem to fit like I thought it did before. See, I thought you were going to be an earthly king. But as it turns out in my growth process, you're a king all right. But your kingdom is not of this world. And my faith grows. And yet, somehow, it's just as sturdy as it was before. But Jesus isn't done, and this story isn't done. So keep reading here in, in Mark chapter 9, starting in, in verse 2. It says, after six days, after, after this had taken place, six days afterwards, Jesus took Peter, there's Peter again, primary in this story, James and John, with him, and he led him up to a high mountain where they were all alone. 
and he was transfigured there before them. What does that mean? This is what it says. His clothes became like dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And he appeared there before them, uh, Elijah and Moses. Now, how did they know it was them? I have no idea. Maybe they were making name tags, or I'm not sure. Maybe God said, I'm not sure how they know that, but they know that. And they were talking with Jesus. This is what the text says. And then Peter says to Jesus, and I love this, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. I said that before many times, never in that kind of context. It's usually like, we're at a good barbecue joint. I'm like, man, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I love verse 6. This is, this is how you know the Bible is not made up. You would never put this in here. He says, he didn't know what to say. They were frightened. <laughs> He's like, I'm just talking because I'm scared and I'm nervous. And I said, where would you even start? You know, you're going to build three shelters. What's going on, Peter? Just shut up and sit down and listen, right? And then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. And this is God speaking, and it says, this is my son, whom I love, listen to him. And they're scared and they're frightened. And they don't know what's going on. They don't even know what to say. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down from the mountain, which you can imagine, they're all like, what just happened? Peter, why'd you say that, by the way? You're an idiot sometimes. But what happened? As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had said until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. He's mentioned that now a couple of times in a short amount of time. Listen, look at the next verse. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what's rising from the dead mean? What's he talking about? See, if you at all thought that the disciples were in this thing and they knew the plan from the entire beginning, you, my friend, are wrong. They had no idea. See, Peter acknowledged Jesus as Christ and he was right. But he wasn't fully right. And Peter assumes that Jesus is going to be an earthly king. And then Peter thinks that Jesus is way off on his plan because he says, listen, I'm going to die. And Peter says, nope, nope, we can't have that. If you're going to be an earthly king, we can't have you going and dying. And Jesus has to remind them over and over and over again. And it's not till they see a resurrected Jesus where they start to understand more fully what Jesus came to do. Even when he says, listen, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again. And they hear the words of God. This is my son whom I love. Listen, listen, listen to him. Okay, I'm listening. I, I am going to die. What do you mean? You can't die. You're the Christ. You're the one who's supposed to redeem you. No, 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 no. Listen. Interesting that Peter and the other disciples had to eventually remodel their understanding of who Jesus was, really. It wasn't that they weren't faithfully following him. It wasn't that they didn't have a good basis. In fact, Jesus said, listen, on your confession, I'm going to build the church. 
But it's eventually in their faith process, they look at this and they say, you know, there's some things that just aren't right. They just don't fit. And I need to address them and continue growing and growing more and more. See, it's an ongoing process. I love this. Peter, who says, no, 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 no. You ain't dying. We ain't dying. And nobody dying up in here. Peter, who draws the sword, right? And he cuts off the, the ear. You remember this story in the garden? Peter's like, man, nobody dying up in here today. Peter writes later. Listen to this. If you have your Bible, turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. Ready? 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, this is Peter who can't imagine anybody suffering for Christ. This is Peter who doesn't want Jesus to die. Nobody dies. Nobody suffers. Christ is going to be earthly king. Friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes on to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Oh, wow, Peter, you had a big shift, didn't you? But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of the Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. See, here's the thing. Peter, in his reconstruction of faith, didn't wipe out who Jesus, who he knew Jesus was. He tested the parts and saw that there were some ideas that he had that had to be changed. But there were some solid things there as well. How do we do this? How do we do this process well, friends? This is important. And over the next few weeks together, we're going to be walking this out about a foundations in faith and how sometimes those foundations can cause us to trip up later in our remodeling process. But here's what I want to let you know. Doubts and remodeling, and if you want to call it deconstruction, that's fine. It's okay. But here are some questions that I think that you need to wrestle through to make this process a healthy process. The first one is this. Where are the sources of doubt and reconstruction coming from? Where are the sources of doubt and reconstruction coming from? See, you have to be careful because there is one who has come to steal, kill, and what's the last word? Oh, destroy. What He would love nothing more than to say, hey, listen, wipe that whole thing out. We'll make it real easy. You just go ahead and, and dismantle everything in a ruin, and then you'll be, you'll be better off then. Game over. See, we have to be really careful. Are the sources of doubt and reconstruction coming from the world? Oh, listen, this piece, dumb piece. Take that one out. Yeah, but it seems kind of central. No, 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 no. Go ahead and remove it. See if it's stable now. Oh, wait, it's all tiltering and teetering? Yeah, well, it probably wasn't, probably wasn't that stable to begin with then. 
where are the sources of doubt and reconstruction coming from? You have to ask yourself that question. The second one is this. Be aware of the human tendency for a pendulum swing. You've seen it before, haven't you? We, I don't know what it is about humanity and humans, but we have a tendency for a pendulum swing in our life. You've met somebody before, it's like, they, they, they just go, once they decide that that's what they're into, they go all into it. And we have to be aware of what happens in our life when we have a pendulum swing. That oftentimes it's just not healthy. We have to be aware of our tendency as we begin to maneuver some things in our life, not to just say, you know what, forget it, we'll remove everything. Number three is this, to remove what's not healthy based on wisdom and truth, not on feelings and preferences. Oh, man, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've made a a decision based on my feelings or my preference, and then I look back on it later, and I was like, what was I doing? I made some haircuts, right, (laughs) based on feelings and preferences, and then I regretted it later. Some Some of you did it this week, so... I'm joking. I love you. (laughs) You've been there before, haven't you? How do you make decisions in your life? And that's something for you to wrestle with no matter how old or young you are. How you make a decision in your life is so vitally important. Are you going to make your decision based on wisdom and truth? You're going to talk to other sources, maybe even sources that don't necessarily agree with you. And say, tell me the way you see this. Hold it up at a different angle and show me the value. See, we're okay with that. It's important. Last is this. Be patient. Remodeling is a growth process. I thought about that this week. As I did some home projects around the house. Remember I told you we've been there a year and a half. We still have a lot more projects to go. In fact, I don't know if we've ever really gotten any done. <laughs> Seems to, how many of you struggle with that? Getting a project done? You've been there before? Okay. See, see babe? There's other people. It's not just us. <laughs> That's right. Easy to start, hard to finish, right? And I thought about this. You know, My house isn't exactly where I want it to be, but it's a lot better than what it was. And what I need to do, what I need to do is remember that this is a growth process. It's a process. And I'm not where I was in this house a year ago. I'm not where I'll be in a year from now either. And the same is true for you. See, Peter followed Jesus for three years and it wasn't until he saw a risen Jesus where he's like oh wait I knew Jesus was Christ I just didn't realize Jesus was like Christ Christ <laughs> like I thought he was going to be the king of Israel I didn't realize he was going to be the king of the world and I knew he said that whoever wanted to follow me would have to take up their cross I just thought it was kind of this like figurative language like, you know, sometimes we might have to skip a meal. But I didn't realize that in the end I'd have to give my life to. 
And it may not be my preference, and it may not be the feeling that I want, but it's truth. See, church, I want you and I want us to healthily remodel our faith, to grow in Christ so that we can be who God has created us to be in Him. And so if the word deconstruction terrifies you and you're afraid of it, can you embrace it just for a moment and recognize that God calls you to grow? But if that word for you means, oh man, wipe it clean and start over, I don't think there's anything good. Could I challenge you that there may be some good pieces that you do not want to throw away or you'll be left with rubble. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault. Oh, and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who's unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and forever.